This is the Skirted Roundtable. I'm Linda Merrill from Surroundings. And this is Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8. And Jenny Webb of Cody, Texas. And this week on the Skirted Roundtable, we are welcoming back to the table the divine Charlotte Moss, um, who everyone knows about. And um, we interviewed Charlotte, we can't believe it, over three years ago in October of 2009. So we'll put a link to that podcast um, here as well. But Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us again. I can't believe it has been three years, actually. Um, I know. Time flies. (laughs) How many interviews do you think you've done in that time? Um, I don't know. I don't Linda know. knows for we've sure done, because I mean, she edits everything. <laughs> I, know. I mean, we. I think overall we've done. We've been on less than four years, and we've done probably forty-five interviews, forty or something like that. Wow. Plus, we sometimes we talk amongst ourselves. It's been a little less recently, but um, uh, it's about two a month. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm no longer considered a skirted round table virgin then, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're an alum. <laughs> I'm an alum, yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm ready to chat about whatever you feel like chatting about tonight. Um, well, we wanted to talk to you about your beautiful new book, A Visual Life, uh, Scrapbooks, Collages, and Inspirations. And it's this book is just chock full I, it must have been crazy to to edit it. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, in a in a word, in a crazy. Word. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, you were at the Boston Design Center and you were speaking, and um, you talked a lot about just what's in this book: your travels and uh, all the pictures you take and all of the, your scrapbooking. So maybe talk about your history with scrapbooking, and we can well, talk about the book and. I think, um, you know, it really started with doing a lot of collaging as a child, um, as sort of like my art form, and then, you know, making cards and and I think the whole scrapbook thing started, you know, when I, you know, I went up in my grandmother's attic and discovered my mother's as a, as a young child, and um, it's just always been a way of for me, uh, recording family events and uh, special occasions, but you know, it, it's also very therapeutic, and it is an incredible opportunity to be in your own head, have time to yourself, to talk to yourself, and actually create something that you know, by way of creating a history, whether it's my travel or you know, parties, a lot of famous women. Uh, great women of style. So I don't draw and I don't paint. So this is my art. And it started as, you know, it sort of being inspired as a child to just visual, you know, to start cataloging things you're interested in. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we are, you know, in this business, all visual people. So we're always, you know, clipping, snipping, collecting and you get to the point where you amass so much you have to begin cataloging and filing and it gets rather voluminous and and then every once in a while you draw back and do some serious editing. But, you know, as I've become a little bit more proficient over the years with my photography, um, I really love being behind that camera and seeing what the camera sees. Did you take all these photographs? 
Yourself? Yeah, most of them. Wow. Um, there are a lot of photographs. All the credits are in the back. But all the travel photography that's mine, um, a lot of the interior design photographs were taken by Eric Strickler and Peter Esterson primarily. And then the collages are all photographs of my photographs, you know, collections of my photographs. Well, but, except for the color boards. The color boards are clip art from just collecting in my files. Charlotte, a lot of people that are listening are into photography, and I think they would be interested to know what kind of camera you use. Um, I use four. I've used my iPhone 5, which I adore now. Um, such better quality than the last iPhone. Do you use any different apps, your iPhone, just like you would different lenses? Are there any apps that you use on your iPhone after you take the pictures for post-editing, so to speak? Um, you know, infrequently. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, when we edit my photographs or if I need to crop or anything like that, we usually do that on the computer in the office. But um, I use a, a, a Canon GL12. A little uh, SLR because it's nice and light, depending on what I'm doing. But I, mm -hmm. I use a Mark II probably most of the time. Canon. All my cameras are Canons. Uh huh. It's just my huh. camera of choice. Oh, do you have a wide angle lens you use? Yeah, I have wide angle telephotos, macros, everything. And yeah. you bring them. You haul them around with you on these yes, on these um, trips when you're out and about. You know, it's actually altered the way I travel. I mean, usually I'd get on a plane and I would have one tote bag full of my reading and my jewelry, for instance, if I was traveling, and then I'd have my pocketbook. Now, if I'm going to Europe and I need to take my cameras, I always take them with me. I never check my cameras. Um, and so I have to download things from my pocketbook into my camera bag so that I can get all my reading and my cameras together. So you really have to um, decide what your priorities are and... My priority is my cameras. Going to Europe about um, two years ago, I was getting out of the car, and before I could say anything to the gentleman who was grabbing the bags from our driver, he dropped my camera bag. Oh, and every lens was like a, just a thousand pieces on the inside. Oh. So I literally oh. get on the plane, call my staff, Tell them to go to, you know, the camera shop, get all new lenses and Federal Express them to France. It was such a nightmare. He just oh slung God. it right onto the pavement. You know, it's like, <gasps> oh, oh, I know. That's painful. <laughs> my children. Yeah. My lenses. And they're so expensive, the lenses. Yeah. But they really do make such a huge difference. And cameras today are so smart. You know, they... They auto-correct and do all these things that we used to have to do manually. And um, mm -hmm. anyway, I just, I just, I love it. I really love the photography. Did you find that, um, did, did your photography pick up more with the advent of digital cameras or was this always what, when it was print? Um, the um, oh, I think it's definitely accelerated with digital, but it started way back when I was using um, a Leica and a, an Olympus digitals. I mean, um, film, and um, and then I just started to cozy up more 
to digital. And it really is so great to be able to look in when you're in a foreign country. Now you can look to see if you've got the shot. Right. Right. And if, Isn't that amazing? It's, it's amazing. amazing that being able to see it right there. I mean, it is. It really is. And you know what you've got, you've captured. You know what you need to capture that you didn't maybe. Or, or just take a couple more at a you know closer range or something. And whereas in the old days, you have to wait to get back to see if your film turned out. Right. And um, hope. And, and pray. Right. And pray. And now I edit in my camera every disc, put them in little plastic cases. I have a whole system. And when I get back, we put them all on in the computer, then we edit in the computer more, then we print thumbs, and then we archive the thumbnails along with the disc. And every trip and every weekend in my garden gets cataloged that way. Wow. So oh, wow. And we keep we keep it on the hard drive too, but I like being able to look through my notebooks and look at the thumbnails and you know, I'm s I just don't want to have to look at a computer screen to look at my photos. The, the last time we spoke to you, I remember we talked about how you organized um, for your clients, how you would hand them a very finished book with um, all of the different textiles and, and things that were used, a very complete book for them to also have. And I always remember that. And now I'm hearing about this. I'm thinking, God, you must have the most beautifully organized office, you know, all of your resources right there. I'm envious. Well, I wouldn't say it's all beautiful. But I could generally put my hands on things. I'm kind of a pack rat, actually. Um, I do go through, you know, we all go through fits and starts when we start to edit. But I just find it's the greatest resource. I mean, we can be sitting around the office and saying, oh, God, you know, that table we want to design and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, okay, look in the back in that notebook marked, you know, X, Y, Z. And in it will be all the reference photos we need or... Um, it's just, it really becomes your bus- your archive for your business. Um, so whether or not you're looking at these photos of my trips for pleasure or looking at some of the garden photos as a reference for a client to explain how you want to square off a hedge or espalier a pear tree against a wall, these, these photos are just, um, they are my resource. Because it's very hard to use words sometimes to describe things, and the pictures are all there. I'm still. You know, I find it interesting that you say you edit your pictures in the camera. I maybe my eyesight is so I have such poor eyesight, but I can't do it. I have to do it on the computer. It's so little on the camera to edit, you know. Yeah, but I can usually tell if the light's off. Um, you know, if I didn't get the light I wanted, or um, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that angle. I didn't like that frame. And I'd rather mm-hmm. just, I'd rather just start editing from the get go. So when I get to the end and look at all those thumbnails, I'm just not overwhelmed with photos. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it's interesting how different people, you know, do it different ways. But you're very good. These photographs are gorgeous. Well, you know, it, it's a different world today. I mean, you know, we can do a lot more. I mean, one, it's a good camera. I do think you have to have a good eye to frame a shot the right way. You know, I get down on my knees a lot to take pictures of really obscure things. And, you know, my husband is very patient when he travels with me. 
and indulges all those weird things I want to stop and take pictures of. <laughs> but, you know, if you don't capture the moment, you miss it. You know, you just miss it. And um, I love revisiting these things. But this book for me was an opportunity to pull a lot of that together. But most importantly, I think it was to demonstrate all the things we do in our life that we may want to revisit one day. And if we don't capture it, it's gone. I've had clients that do scrapbooks for each child each year, recording their drawings and their pictures and everything. And I just think what an incredible thing that child is going to have when they grow up one day to look back with their own children. So I, I also developed this fascination with what other people have done with their scrapbooks. And then some of this material of famous women came my way and I always find it interesting to see what people like to catalog. Yeah, so you have what do you, uh, you have um, several other uh, very creative women in the book and, um, uh, you know, with Jackie Kennedy and, uh, you know, up to Deborah Needleman and the digital scrapbooking in the digital age. Um, how did you select it? Were you aware of all of these women who were as interested in doing this and cataloging moments as you were? Or was that sort of part of the process of creating the book? Well, the women that contributed to the book, Alexa Hampton, Deborah Needleman, uh, Candy Price, Pamela Fiore, and Dita Blair, all are friends. And they all do scrapbooking, some of them, I mean, um, all differently, but in their own in their own way. And I asked them to write essays to talk about their process. And I found that fascinating that they were all so different. But the material of Evangeline Bruce, Elsie DeWolf, Pauline Trigere, and Jackie, the ones that I used in the book, that's all material that I own ah. uh, of those women. It's not archive material that I just pull from. I bought Elsie DeWolf's photo album of herself at auction at Christie's. Um, Evangeline Bruce's books came to me through a dealer. So did Pauline Trigere's. And then Jackie, through an auction at Sotheby's, a very random auction, not the two main wow. Kennedy auctions. And um, it was material that one of the housekeepers owned. And I just found it all so uh, enlightening about each one of these women, like Elsie, with her ego as big as the houses that she decorated <laughs> was her ego. And her notebook and her scrapbook was all about herself. Um, Pauline Trigere wrote about her dinner parties and wrote little comments about each one, very personal. And um, Evangeline cataloged houses that she liked, friends' houses, and even took pictures of her own and interspersed them. Um, all together in her notebook. So everybody is so different, and I find that really so fascinating. It's like their visual thumbprint in a way. The book, the book almost is, uh, reminds me of like a, a book of Pinterest, you know, which is so popular today, where people just take the images that they like and create these um, online scrapbooks. You know, and this it kind of reminds me, you know, of it in a way, but it's it's much prettier because it's in print. Yeah, um, 
And these are all images that I've selected. So I guess you could say it's my, you know, my Pinterest in print um, in a way. I think that's really, I think that says a lot about our time. Um, you know, we spend so much time with computers and equipment and technology and whatnot that making things by hand, whether it's sitting there looking at beautiful images and crafting your own Pinterest page or creating a collage, um, cutting and pasting or however, I, I think we need to create. Um, I think it's really important that we create. Um, you know, you know, I grew up in the 70s when people did a lot of crafts back then. I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think the the online versions are a true testimony to um, you know, I did a review in the Wall Street Journal of the big beaten scrapbooks that Asseline published. And, you know, it's an enormous business, you know, like $400 million. Or, I mean, it's, it's enormous. Um, and the comment that I made in that interview, and I also made it in the book, is the thing that I like about scrapbooking is it's so democratic because everybody's kind of equal. It's just a cut-and-paste world. You know, no one's being judged on their ability to paint or draw or sculpt. It's totally personal. Your image selection, your placement, and how you do it. And anyone can do it. Anyone. You know, Charlotte, just, um, you have a lot of pictures of, like, famous gardens in um, Europe. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm always, like, pulling pictures of beautiful gardens and, like, as for inspiration... But I never take it a step further. Do you ever take personal inspiration from your the, your pictures and utilize it in your own garden? Or oh yeah, I mean, I'm going to look for a page here, but um, there are several gardens in this book, like the Priory at um, Notre Dame d'Orsan in France. And I've actually had the gardener from that garden come to my house in East Hampton to work with me on some of the things that he does. Wow. Because I was wow. just so, I was so inspired by it. And we've, we've built hedges. We've built windows and hedges. We've, um, if you look at that garden in the book, they're like woven seats made out of chestnut. We've done the same thing, but we've done it, done it in willow. And, um, I think, first of all, you're drawn to go visit a garden because you're interested in what it has to offer. And then when you see it, it just has a way of grabbing you um, once you're there. And then you photograph it, then you can sort of digest it, and then it surfaces in your work. Um, and even that garden work can surface in the interior, not just the exterior. But there's so many references that I draw from those gardens. Oh, divine. Well, I, yeah. I remember when you were in Boston, I think you talked about, you know, creating trims that were inspired by, like, I'm looking at one of the pages, and you have in the background, it's just like a little tiny p piece of a um, Greek key. It looks like a watercolor drawing, sort of, just sort of a little bit in the background at the Chateau de Haute Four. Um, oh, yeah, Chateau de Haute Four, yes. And, uh, 
and is that one, you know, and I recall you talking about that, you know, the sort of taking pictures of a fern and how it suddenly, you know, the color or something about it might translate to a product you've designed. Um, I don't think that you can deny those things once you've seen them. I think we, we have a way of sort of storing them. And when an opportunity arises to create something, just some of this stuff sort of bubbles to the surface. It's just all part of that collective conscience we all have. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, we, we see it, we collect it, we have no idea, you know, when we're going to have use for it, and then, boom, uh, it happens. Um, but even if it doesn't happen, just seeing it and experiencing the beauty of it is uh, sort of mind-boggling. Can't say yeah. enough things about going somewhere and traveling. Yeah. And seeing things like that. Um, but I like to walk those gardens by myself. I don't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> um, I thought... Which is your favorite private garden that you visit? Oh, gosh. You know, it's so hard because they all have something about them that appeals to you. And sometimes it's not the entire garden. It's just aspects. But... It's always the most intimate gardens. And I think the the priory um, in Orsan was amazing to me because it was created by a couple people, um, a garden over 20 years, started from nothing, and from someone that knew nothing about gardens. So it was trial by fire. Um, and I love the whole story of it. I mean, sure, you can say you love all the chateau gardens, but, you know, but in the end, um, a lot of them aren't exactly the way they were in their time, mm-hmm. and but they are beautiful, but they're not the way we live, but they're beautiful to look at. But even some of those principles can all be adapted to gardens today on a different scale. Um, but it's the more intimate gardens, you know. I love places like Dumbarton Oaks in Washington. I loved the garden at Arignac because of all the topiary. And then there are a lot of private gardens I've been to in France and Italy that I couldn't publish, but wish I could. <laughs> but I'll never, I'll never forget them. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's it's interesting that you you know when you say that you just go alone because it's true. It's very hard, even if you have have a super understanding husband or travel partner. I I found it's just so difficult to just stop and take, you know, these random pictures and pictures all the pictures you want to take when someone else is not necessarily seeing what you're seeing or. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's really, it's, it's almost a spiritual experience. I need mm-hmm. that time to uh, detach from all else and just be in the moment, seeing what I'm seeing and not thinking about anybody, uh, any calendar, you know, nothing about my calendar, my schedule, where I've got to be, who I've got to be with, what I've got to do. Just being there. Because if you're not, you miss something. You really it's miss sort of like sitting in the silence in the woods or something, and in the quieter you are, and the stiller it is, you'll things start sort of showing themselves and and coming out from behind the trees. And I think I hear that's what you're saying when you're in a garden or in a space that does that for you. It's it's so good to get rid of every single distraction so that you can become part of it and really start seeing maybe something that's not as obvious as if you were to walk through while chatting or, or that sort of thing. It's totally, um, it's totally that, and, and particularly when you're visiting historical gardens. Like when I go to um, Versailles, and 
I go to the hamlet there. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've been to the hamlet at Versailles. And probably if I've been to Paris, you know, however many times, let's say I've been 10 times, eight times I've been to the hamlet. Hmm. Just because on what, Sunday what do you think about? You know, it's that Marie Antoinette complexity right. of the big house and the hamlet and how what a fantasy world that she had created but because she was only a 14 year old child that's what I always thought was interesting she was a little girl really when that was all created it's just very intimate and it's haunting and I think a lot of historical houses have that haunting kind of nature to them makes us wonder how people how people lived what did they eat what did they do there how did they dress and, you know, in the case of the Hamlet, there's no furniture in there. There's only, you know, some documents about, you know, what was in there. But there's nothing inside those buildings. So it's just a haunting place, you know, for me. And I love going you know, back because I think they talk to you. I love to go on Google Maps to the Hamlet. It's so much fun uh, to go to Versailles on Google Maps, you know, and then you go to the Hamlet and you just see it all. It's like being there. It's incredible. I think the other thing that pull it really up right just, now. What's that? You're looking at Google Maps now? I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah, I just love to go. I mean, it's so neat to see it all laid out from the sky. It, you can really see the plot of the, you know, the X shape to the, you know, the cross shape to the gardens. And, and then there's that little hamlet off to the side. And Google Maps is the neatest thing in the world. Well, and the other perspective you're getting from that is to see the paths that connected the Temple of Apollo to the Hamlet, to the Belvedere, through the Grotto, and all the way back to the Petit Trianon. I've walked that so many times. And, um, you know, now the Belvedere has been restored, um, and it's absolutely glorious on the inside. Um, and isn't it interesting but, that these people never saw it from an aerial point of view? We're able to see this, but those people who lived in it at that time never saw it from this perspective, that we can now see it. Well, the gardens and, laid out outside of Versailles are just gorgeous from the sky. They're just, they look like, you know, sh- you know shapes. Of, right, they're very you know, architectural. Yeah, I think that when you look at what you're seeing there, you remember you're only seeing such a small fraction of what it originally was. And that is when you think of the way they laid out the pools and the, and the vast avenues of trees um, and to think that it was so much larger than what you're seeing now on Google Maps, it's almost mind-boggling to think they were shuffling around on those little silk court shoes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was no hiking boots um, to be had. Um but anyway, I whether it's vast or whether it's intimate, there's something to be learned from from all of them. And I, I think one one of the things I think it's important, particularly with travel, is to just be prepared. I was at uh, the Mount in the Berkshires, and I didn't have a big enough di- um, you know drive in my camera, and I was taking pictures of the gardens, and ran out of room and had to edit the pictures off in order to take pictures of the interiors. I'm sure you yeah, travel you know, with funny. lots of. <laughs> I think we've all ended up in a tight spot like yeah. that when we've had to go, okay, what's really important here? Right. And then you had to edit and get back. Um, they've done a beautiful job at the Mount. They have. A really beautiful job. I used to be a trustee 
there. And um, well, that you, was before. We were just in the middle of starting the gardens then. Yeah. And they're just so beautiful. Well, your living room was there. My living room's still there, yes. Yeah, I was there. I think yep. that's why I was like, I have to get in to see Charlotte and Bunny's rooms and take pictures. <laughs> I have to edit off half these garden pictures. But the gardens were save, so pretty. And, and save, save some film. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that really encouraged me, I think, in my whole collaging world was in the 70s when I read Gloria Vanderbilt's book on collage. And, you know, Gloria did those extraordinary collages of, like, you know, Queen Elizabeth, and she used doilies and fabric and silver foil, and they were human scale. They were enormous. And then she did a lot of, you know, smaller, more intimate things where she made cards of her family. And I think that really encouraged me seeing someone like Gloria create collage as one of her art forms. When you think of you know, what an extraordinary life she has had, but yet she spent time doing that because it was important to her to catalog things and to make her art. And so that was really a big boost for me in the 70s when I started to really pick it up again. And she's still going strong doing it. It's really amazing. She does. She looks so fabulous. I mean, she looks so fabulous. Yeah, and she has her own website and... You know, she's still doing collages. She just did an exhibition at 200 uh, Lexington where there were um, some were for sale and some were for exhibition. And it's just so she's so prolific. But I think that really was a great boost for me uh, back in the 70s. But, you know, what's really interesting about all of these famous women that are in here of the material that I own really sort of gave me that encouragement to continue to pursue other books of this type is that you learn something very unique about each one of those people. And, um, you know, Pauline's writing about her intimate dinner parties and making comments like I wore the old red dress and, you know, (laughs) you know, she she didn't care who who was going to read it and her menus were pretty repetitive. Um, but you know, she was a force to be reckoned with. She was, she was an amazing woman. She knew exactly what she wanted, and she went after it. And then in Jackie's case, um, so specific about how she wanted things done and so at least gentle in her written approach to how she instructed her staff about how she wanted things done, everything written on legal pads, and her manner of telling someone what they did wrong and then ending up telling them what they did right in the end so they felt good about what they'd done without really feeling bad about what they did wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It was an incredible reinforcement. um, Yes, it was great positive reinforcement, but it was also one of the greatest management techniques that uh, one could have, whether you're running a Fortune 400 or whatever, is that you tell people what they did wrong, you tell them what they did right, so there's balance. Um, you never take someone all the way down for doing something wrong. And um, I just found that amazing. But her level of specificity of how she wanted things done, um, when you really think about it, all great women of style were not vague about what they did, what they wanted, what they wanted to achieve, and how they wanted things done. 
the reason they had style is that they had the dis- discipline and the desire to do it their way. They had a vision. Um, so I find it really fascinating. That's encouraging to know because I get, I, I hear a lot of people go, God, you're so opinionated. And I think, is that a bad thing? <laughs> so I like to hear that. You know what you were saying about Jacqueline Kennedy? I just recently read um, a quote by Richard Branson that was saying the exact same thing as you're describing. That in order to have a success, people working for you be successful, you need to both point out their strengths and encourage those while you're also um, critiquing the things that could be helped along. Right. I mean, and, and as a good manager or business owner, um, the last thing you want to do is not be able to sit down with someone and discuss an issue and not tell them how they might be able to strengthen it at the same time, always complimenting them on what they what they do right. I mean, that's really that's the hard job of any business owner is those people relationships. But I found that she did it um, in, a, well, in an incredible way. Now, mm. when you look back on some of your early scrapbooks, or do you see, um, I, I'm assuming you would see sort of a change in your style or viewpoint. Is there anything you look back on and you're surprised at either, you know, nothing, something has never changed, that it's just you liked this sort of thing exactly the way it is, or how widely you may have changed over the years of what you, what you we, appreciate. You know, that's a really great question because it is a good question. Um, I'm sitting here looking at about 40 scrapbooks on my shelf. And if I look back in some, I'll go, God, that's terrible layout on that page. You know, maybe I should do it over, but you know, <laughs> you really can't go back there. You know, yeah. you did it at that time. It represented how your eye saw that something should be laid out and your eye get better, your eye evolves, your taste evolves. I mean, if there's no evolution, you're, you're dead creatively. So you've got to evolve. And the only way you're going to evolve is just to keep doing it and just keep doing it and wanting to be better at it. And, you know, there's some pieces I can put together in, you know, an hour and other ones will take me, you know, multiples more than that. But I like a layered I like doing things layered, um, depending on what it is. Um, whether it's garden stuff, I'll layer it more than I will layer some of the travel. Um, and sometimes I'll do it just sort of straight on, and other times I'll do it sort of a mad collage. Um, it really depends on what kind of mood I'm in and what the subject is. But you know, some places I've visited a number of times, so sometimes you do it different ways for the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can definitely see how your eye gets better behind the camera and how you frame your shots and then how you lay them out in your book. So it's called growth. That's what it's That's called. That's what it's called, yeah. <laughs> well, it's such a, you know, obviously it's over, particularly for people who have done it over time, it's such a visual diary. If anyone's kept a diary, you know, I can go back and read, read my diaries from high school and college. And in some, some instances, you're, you know, chuckle at your old self and other instances you're like boy that hasn't changed (laughs) yes 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 same old same old same old same Um, old (laughs) yeah I do keep other diaries but they're for different things you know I keep book reports for the books that I read um and when do you have time (laughs) 
Well, you know, I don't write them like I've got to pass a test for 10th grade English or something, you know, worrying about a teacher. It's like bullet points of things that I liked or just page numbers that may have long passages in them, you know, and then there are other sort of clips and snips in there of those. Those are different types of journals. And then in some of the uh, color stories in the back, I have big notebooks in the office just of color boards like these. And I think I did those more, one, for the archive, for the office, but also because I found them pleasing to put together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy to sit with a client and, you know, they say green and you just point. Is it spring green or is it a magnolia leaf? You know, it's pointing sometimes is easier than trying to find the right shade of green. I, I just enjoy doing them. And I don't think I'll ever stop. So now it's trying to figure out what's the next book. So, And how long feel, did this book take? You know, if I had to calculate the number of hours just some collages took. Um, oh, boy. I mean, the book took about a year and a half. But the collecting and the collaging actually started before then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like some of the color collages could have taken two days to do. And I mean two solid days of looking at all the clippings that I have, laying them out, repositioning them, cropping them, cutting them, placing them. It's kind of mad, but I do. You know, listen, I've listened to a lot of lectures and a lot of great music. (laughs) What advice? I think a lot of people, um, I I went to a, it was a scrapbooking, you know, it was one of those things where the person came in and they were selling scrapbooking products. And I went because yeah. a friend was hosting it. And it's not my kind of thing because I don't I don't personally feel the need to have to buy a product to do something like a scrapbook. You just take some scissors and glue and paper and, you know, start creating. Yes. But some people do need, you know, they do worry about doing it right or wrong. And so sort of jumping off on that, you know, you go back and you look at how you may have done something and said, oh, well, I might have laid that out differently. But what do you recommend for people that might feel sort of the roadblock of what's the right way to do it versus just doing it? I think you just have to not think about editing yourself and worrying about giving a damn about what anybody else thinks. There is no right way. It's how you want to do it. I mean, at some point you just have to shake off all of those preconceived notions or being inhibited worrying about what other people think there is no right way it is it's a personal thing you know some people will go to a craft store and buy a lot of things to add on it's not my style because i have so many darn pictures i've got to use the pictures that i took i don't don't need anything else to enhance the page but everybody has it's just like getting dressed in the morning You know, you might put on a dress and somebody else might put that dress on with a necklace. Somebody else may do it with a scarf. There is no right way. It's your way. And I think that's one of the great things about this as an art form, that it is just let it all hang out. Whatever, you know, anything goes. Anything goes. I taught a class at Monticello, a scrapbooking workshop. I taught a class at PS 189 for Teach for America which was probably one of the toughest classes I ever taught, not because the students were tough, but because I wanted to get it so right for them and to encourage them to write in journals and create scrapbooks. And um, that was a blast. I love doing that, love teaching. And um, everybody is different. 
And I love seeing how everybody's different, just like these women in the book and all those great essays. And that's what was important to me also, I think, to bring that other point of view into the book, that it wasn't just, you know, you know, this self-indulgent thing of putting your scrapbooks in a, in a book. It was about, this is an art form that a lot of people have been doing it for a long time. And whether it's just scrapbooks or it's collages, they've been around a long time. They'll continue to be around a long time in any shape and form you want to make it. That's the beauty. So, um, yeah. Charlotte, what's what's coming next for you? What are you working on now? And Well, well we're working on so many exciting things. Um, getting ready to start at the beginning of uh, the year on another fabric collection for Fabric Cut. Great. Uh, oh, and and I'm doing a lot of speaking in the first six months of the year. I'm going to London. I'll be in Los Angeles um, at Blogfest, uh, speaking there in beginning of March. Uh, Virginia, Washington, gosh, Moscow, Saint Petersburg, <laughs> Berlin. Yeah, a lot wow. of exciting places. To um, I'm speaking to architects and designers and. St. Petersburg and Moscow, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be very exciting. Have you I've been, been to St. Petersburg, but not to Moscow, so it'll be great for a lot of reasons. Lots to take pictures of. Oh, I'll take plenty of pictures, yeah. And I'm going to go down to SCAD and speak in April at SCAD Style, so I'm, I'm really looking forward mm. to that. I have a lot of fun with students. Students bring a, they make you sit up tall because they ask questions, honest questions, because they want to know the answer and they bring a perspective to the business that every once in a while we motor along and we just keep going along. And then a student asks us a question and it makes you think about why you do something a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I learn from them. So that's, what's great. It's a two way street. So let's see, what else are we doing? Speaking, uh, decorating some and, um, working on a couple other uh, deals to, to, for more licensed product. Then working in my garden more next summer. I can't wait. That that's what I uh, that's what I work for. How big is your garden? The one in uh, the one you're on your vacation house. Oh, the one in the Hamptons is about three acres. Wow. So wow. It takes a but little bit. But it's very it's very tight that's and very big. sculpted. Yeah, there's a picture of you weeding or something well, in the book. Yeah, it was yeah. I wasn't quite the dirt there. You know, <laughs> was more picking flowers, but. Uh, that is another one of those activities where you really get a chance to be with yourself. Um, but the, the dilemma is what, what's the next book after this? Because um, I love writing. What do you think I, it will be? Do you know? Or? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. There are just a couple things that we've been batting around. I do want to write a book about women. Every time you speak or that we've had the opportunity to talk to you, and I was saying this to Linda before we got on with you, and I mean this so sincerely, I find that you, woman to woman, are an incredibly inspiring person. And I think that is something I personally would love to to read, something that you would produce about women in business. You're really encouraging, and you come from a place of really empowering women, even though that seems like such an old-fashioned 1979 term. You really, whatever it is, I always walk away from listening to you thinking, wow, she's cool. She's like she, she is, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, the last time when we got off with you, I we spoke, and I was like, you guys, she's kind, 
she's kind of amazing, like as a woman. So I, for one, would love to have you write a book from that perspective. You know, there's so, that out there. Many, so many interesting women that will probably never warrant a full biography. So compilations, just like music or something, if you can, like The Power of Style was a great book uh, that Annette Tapert did. And because it gave great slices about all these fabulous women. So if you didn't know anything about some of them, it would have really encouraged you to go out and find more information. And there are just so many great lessons to learn. And that's why I love digging around. I have a file that I've built for about 20 years about women. And one summer we had an intern who just helped me catalog it. And we have, I have files of over 200 women. And those women are may have built castles and some of them may have built, built cabins. And they're all fascinating in their own way. So many lessons. Anyway, I find them inspiring. And I'd hate to think that they would not get a second chance. And I think that's the way I see it. So many of these women need a, a second chance to be seen and heard. And um, I think that would be, I mean, that that right there, I, what a great book that would be. I think that would help so many women who are currently in the art and design world and certainly for the students, you know, younger people who are going, you know, hopefully going forward into that vocation, that career. Yeah, and I think that it's very empowering. And I think that in my own case, having the opportunity to speak to students, um, it's empowering for me because I enjoy the teaching and I get a lot of great um, feedback from that and I learn from those students. But at the same time, I think they get an opportunity to see that designers are real and they're human and they make goofs and lots of them. And if you're honest about it, I, I think it really has a way of making them see the reality of our business, not just glossy pictures in magazines of fabulous looking places like it was all easy because it's not. I just think to be able to put more people by way of writing a book about some of these women in front of other people um, is a way to encourage uh, students. And also, if nothing else, to inspire them to read, to read, mm-hmm. and not looking at a screen, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I think when you, when you really love what you do, I think it just happens. Don't you find that? I mean, you love, you love this business. I mean, look how long you've been doing the Skirted Roundtable. You've created this yeah. franchise of these conversations that give other people an opportunity to hear someone's voice talk about something and your own point of view because you love this business. And so you've taken this franchise and you run with it. And whether it's, look, there's some great bloggers out there that have done the same thing. Um, we have such incredible opportunities today to sort of spread the gospel about good design. Everybody's seizing the moment in their own, in their own way, just like you said. Some people are doing it on Pinterest. Some people are blogging, you're doing the skirted table, round table, and I'm doing a book on scrapbooks. Everybody's got a voice. Everybody has right. a voice. Well, Charlotte, um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been, as we keep saying, inspirational. And um, 
um, I think your book will, it'll, it's definitely a book that'll take several, you know, flip through. It's not, it takes more than a flip through. It's definitely a read a little bit and think about it and peruse all. I mean, there's just tons of images. It's really great. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it's you. not a book that you just glance at no. and put down. You, it, you have to run through it a couple times and to, uh, to parse it, you know, I mean, there's so much in there, and there's so much information and so much imagery that um, it's really incredible. Does it make you want to go out and scrapbook now? It kind of does. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> kind of does. I was like, where is take my those stick? pictures you have in shoeboxes and yep. and put them in a notebook now. Yeah. But anyway, thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you so thank much. Thank you so much. And we'll, thank you so much. It was great talking to you as always. This has been the Skirted Roundtable with Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8, Joni Webb from Code to Texas, and then Linda Merrill from Surroundings. You can visit us online at www.skirtedroundtable.blogspot.com. Our podcasts include more photographs and information about the books or the person we've chatted with, so we encourage you to visit our website. And you can also listen at iTunes, search for the Skirted Roundtable. Thanks so much, and we'll be back soon. <laughs>